Carol was the vice president of sales for a large medical equipment company. And she'd enjoyed a very long run of success, but lately things had turned sour. Her firm was struggling because the competitors were regularly taking away their clients. Things looked a little bleak. But Carol had some hope because she was in the midst of discussions with a prospect that had the potential to become a major new client. And landing that one deal could really turn things around. And as she was working hard to finalize a contract, her CEO called her in and said, the company's on the line, and so is your job. If you don't land this deal, you're fired. Well, not surprisingly, as she left that meeting, Carol was just a bit anxious. She was just a little bit worried. Anyone in her position would be deeply worried, faced with that kind of pressure and those kinds of consequences. And unfortunately, in her case, her worries came true. Now, I think we understand how someone in Carol's position would feel because we all know what it's like to be afflicted with anxiety and worry. These thoughts and emotions hit all of us in in all kinds of different life situations. There may be times when, like Carol, we are worried about the economic viability of our employer and we're concerned about the security of our job. We may be anxious about politics or about the environment. I remember what it was like to be young. When you're young, sometimes what you're anxious about is, can you catch the eye of that other young man or young woman that you really like? would like to develop a relationship with. At a certain point in our youth, those things make us very anxious. The other end of life, if we have parents who are in declining health, we'll worry about them. And if we're parents raising kids, oh my goodness. (laughs) The list of ways we can worry about our kids is almost endless. Just this week, we learned that across the nation, some parents were so anxious for their kids to get into an elite college that they paid bribery money in order to game the admissions system. I find that almost incomprehensible. Some of these people will go to jail. They will be imprisoned as a direct result of their worry about the collegiate status of their kids. And these are just a few examples, but the fact is at every age and every stage of life, you and I always can find something to worry about. Anxiety is in our nature, and it's in our culture. Yet just because we all do it doesn't mean that it's right or good or healthy. In fact, Jesus says that anxiety is something that we shouldn't even tolerate. He doesn't want his followers to be worriers. His goal is to set us free from worry because then we can experience peace in our minds and our hearts and our souls. Peace, not worry. Peace, not anxiety. Are you ever anxious? I'll bet you are. So am I. 
So I think we have something to learn this morning. Let's see what Jesus can teach us about how to overcome this very common human problem. And we find his timeless advice in the book of Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? What Luke records here is an excerpt from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this part of his message, Jesus wants to address this very universal problem of worry and anxiety and the way it can distract us from a life full of meaning and purpose. And as we see, he doesn't beat around the bush. He dives right into the topic by succinctly telling people, don't worry about your life. Now, even as he says that, Jesus knows that everybody worries. And he knows that most people have no idea how to stop worrying. So he makes this sweeping statement to get their attention. And his comment would grab their attention because of the language that he uses to describe the problem. Some Bible translations use the word worry. Others use the word anxious or anxiety. But the original Greek text is much stronger. The Greek word means to be torn apart. To be torn apart. What a vivid word picture. I think it accurately describes what happens to us when we are anxious and worried. We get torn apart. We're torn apart emotionally as our minds whirl with anxious thoughts and as we ponder all of the negative outcomes that might happen if our worries actually happen to come true. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Worrying about the future, about what may happen, but also might not happen? And the more we we worry like that, the more we, we, we work ourselves into an emotional lather. Worry tears us apart emotionally. It also can tear, tear us apart physically. Because as we know, we can develop physical symptoms in our body that are the direct product of our anxiety. And we also are torn apart spiritually. Because when we're anxious, our time and our attention and our energy and our trust are turned away from God and instead we focus on whatever it is that's making us crazy. Jesus wants to spare us from being torn apart. He wants to free us from worry and anxiety because they put us in bondage to the temporary things of this world. Don't worry about your life. And then to to point out and to give some detail here on the problem of worry, Jesus highlights a need that's universal. He talks about food and clothing. And we understand that if we lack food, we're going to die. If we lack clothing to protect us from the elements, we can die of exposure. And no one's exempt from that reality. 
Fortunately, most of us don't have to deal with that reality very often, if at all. Most of us don't know what it is to be cold and hungry. But many of Jesus' listeners did. For them, this was real life stuff. And you know, it's hard to be compassionate if we lack understanding. Compassion grows out of understanding. You know, this weekend, the youth of our church did something really unique. Something to help them build greater understanding of what it means to lack appropriate shelter and food. On Friday night, the youth of our church participated in an event called My Night in a Box. And they slept outside our church with very little protection from the cold. And when they got up on Saturday morning, they did not necessarily get a full breakfast. And the purpose was to gain compassion for people who are homeless and living on the edge. To gain compassion for people who don't always have food and clothing and the shelter that they need. In order to respond to a problem, you have to understand the problem. And have compassion for people who face the problem. And our youth now have a better understanding. I'm grateful for that. And as we gain understanding, we're less likely to take things for granted. And what we need to realize is we may take food, clothing, shelter for granted, but many people cannot. And when you lack those things, and since they're essential for life, then it's natural to worry if we don't have them. Jesus understands that, and yet if he says we do worry, then we're wasting our time. He wants us to know that worry is a waste. Now, an important distinction here. Jesus is not saying, don't plan ahead. When we can plan for the future, that's a very good thing. But planning ahead is very different than worrying ahead. Which is what you and I so often do. And as Jesus makes clear, all the worrying in the world won't put food on our table or clothes on our back. As I think about what Jesus is saying here, it occurs to me that we live in a world of extremes. Some people struggle for the basics, and they would give anything for one nice warm coat. Others have a closet full of coats and happily go shopping for more. In other words, some people are anxious about survival. Others are anxious about fashion or looking good. Yet whether we worry about wants rather than needs, all of our worry accomplishes exactly nothing. So Jesus sets all this forth and then he uses an illustration from nature to help us see why worry is a waste. Since God provides for the ravens, then won't he provide for human beings, these unique creatures made in his own image? Well, the answer is yes, he will provide. He won't indulge all of our wants, but he will meet our needs. So why worry? Now, even as Jesus says this, he knows that there are times when people will lack the basics. Some people are unable to work. Some people who are able to work cannot find work. 
Some people are victims of famines and droughts that deprive them of the essentials of life. And that's why God asks those with means to be compassionate and to help those who lack the means. Jesus is going to address that a bit later in his sermon. But his point here at the outset is to get us to recognize that worry is useless. Worry is a waste of time because it distracts us from what is most important. Many years ago, I heard this great little phrase. There is a powerful difference between making a living and making a life. Jesus wants to free us from worrying about needs so we can make a life. That's what's most important. And he's going to tell us now how to do that. He's going to point out that our anxiety, or the lack of it, results from what we pursue. Let's take a look at what Jesus says as we continue on in verse 27. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You see, worry, ultimately, is a matter of faith, or the lack of it. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. We may not be familiar with paganism, but it is the worship of the gods of nature. The gods of this world. And therefore, by definition, it is a materialistic religion. In the first century, paganism was a significant force in the culture. And pagans, by pursuing food and drink and the security of stuff, they believed they were pursuing the gods. And sadly, many faithful Jewish people adopted pagan views. That's why Jesus brings this up. You see, it's possible to have the desire to worship God properly, and yet you still can be influenced by your culture in unhealthy ways. And that was a problem for some of the ancient Jews. It also can be a problem for us today. We don't often see paganism practiced in the form of an actual religion, but it is a worldview that is dominant within our culture. Our society is incredibly pagan because we promote the worship of things by promoting the security of things. And you and I are conditioned to pursue the acquisition of money and possessions which can cause us to believe that our security comes from our assets rather than from God. And the fact is, we can be followers of Jesus, yet we're not immune to the lure of pagan thinking. And if we fall into that trap, the natural result is anxiety. We're going to worry because any asset we have is temporary. Any asset at any time can be taken away from us or we can lose it. Jesus shows us a better way. 
rather than pursue the paganism that our culturally, culture mindlessly chases, Jesus wants us to pursue the kingdom of God. He wants us to make a life that goes beyond physical needs. Think about the great kingdom commandment that Jesus gave us. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what kingdom citizens pursue. That's how we move toward the kingdom. And as we embrace the values and the lifestyle of the kingdom, that's where we find peace and security because Jesus says here, if we pursue the kingdom, then all of the basic things that we love to worry about are going to be taken care of. It is possible to build a kingdom-oriented life that is free of worry. We just need to pursue the kingdom. We do that by loving God and loving others. And the way to do that properly is to ensure that we are investing in the right places and investing in the right things. That's what Jesus invites us to do next. Let's look at how he says this in verses 32 to 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus points us toward the kingdom of God because it's unique. No earthly nation, no state, no human empire is ever going to last, but the kingdom of God will last forever. And so when we pursue God and we pursue the kingdom of God, we learn to live with an eternal perspective. And that changes everything. Do we really trust God enough to believe that he always has our best interests at heart? Do we really believe that there is a life after this one? Well, if so, then our fear of death fades away. Our fear of death loses its hold on us. And when we don't fear death, then the worries of this life begin to fade away because we keep them in proper perspective. They're only temporary. And that's why Jesus wants us to pursue the kingdom. To pursue the kingdom by investing in the kingdom. We have a choice to invest our time and our energy and our talents and our prayers and our finances in ways that deepen our love for God and equip us to be agents of God's love for others. We invest in the kingdom by pursuing and striving to fulfill the great kingdom commandment. It just boils down to one simple question. Where do we invest? I was wrestling with this during the week. As I was pondering this, here's a question that occurred to me. You might want to ponder this as well. Am I building a storehouse of treasure that simply builds up my collection of worries, or am I building a storehouse of treasure that leads to a life of contentment as a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
What kind of life am I making by the way I invest? Now, one way to answer that is to see how we respond to what Jesus says here about the poor. And you and I may be prompted at times to give to the poor, but I think most often we do it out of our excess. We take money or things that we view as extra and we're happy to give them away. But Jesus urges us, urges us here to do something that is incredibly radical. He says, don't give out of your excess. Take something that you own and sell it and give that to a needy person. That's not easy to do. It's not always easy for us to give up our stuff, and I think that's precisely why Jesus asks us to do that. It's a way for us to see who and what we treasure. It's a way to determine if we own our things or if our things own us. Jesus makes it clear here that helping people in need is a kingdom value because it's a way for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we have the means to help, then we should want to help not out of duty, not out of condescension, but out of compassion. Compassion like our teens learned on Friday night. Because they have compassion and great understanding, now they may get some new insights about how they can actually help people who live on the margins. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that we take this very seriously. We deeply believe in what Jesus says. And so throughout the year, we try and find ways that we can demonstrate, demonstrate God's love to our hurting neighbors. And that's why we've been having a food drive over the last couple of weeks. You can see the growing stack of food out here in the church lobby. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to take that food over to Holt Elementary School, and it will be combined with food that's been collected at North Park Community Church, food that's been donated by the Holt Parents Association. And then tomorrow night, we're going to show up and we're going to pack that food. And that food will be given to kids at Holt School whose families live on the margin. See, it breaks my heart to realize that right here in our neighborhood, there are young boys and girls who run the very real risk of going hungry over spring break without our help. And that's why we do this, because we have compassion. We want to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And you can help. You can still drop off some food and add it to that pile. You can show up tomorrow night and help us pack the food. So you can make a choice to invest some of your treasure in the right place. You can invest some of your treasure by helping to do the work of the kingdom as together we love our neighbors. Here's something else I think we need to think about. It's very clear from this passage that Jesus is primarily talking about the earthly treasure of material assets versus the heavenly treasure of the kingdom of God. And yet I think we can take his principle and apply it more broadly. When he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think that's true of many aspects of life beyond money and possessions. For example, I think of a guy that I used to know back in the days when I worked in the corporate world. And this guy would literally say or do anything if it would help him rise another rung up the corporate ladder. And he wasn't motivated primarily by money. Oh, he liked getting a raise, but what he mostly wanted was position and power. 
and status. Those were his treasures. It seems to me that a lot of politicians are cut from the same mold. Their treasure is power and position and influence. And more and more people in our culture today view politics as the answer to the challenges of our society. And they invest huge amounts of time and emotional energy and sometimes their, their money into backing their preferred causes and candidates. And politics are important, but they cannot be our treasure. Jesus and the kingdom of God are the only treasure that matter. They're the only treasure that will set us free from worry and and anxiety so we can live a full life where we are at peace in our souls. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Jesus wants to capture your heart and my heart for the kingdom of God. Because then instead of worrying about life, we can build a life. I don't know what you like to read, but I enjoy reading a lot of history. And I recently came across a very detailed account about the 1300s when the plague swept across Europe. I found myself in tears so many times reading about the people who were affected by that deadly epidemic. It truly was terrifying. The symptoms seemed to show up out of nowhere, and if you showed the first sign of symptoms, usually you were dead within five days. The medical community had no idea what caused the plague, and there was no known cure. Entire families were wiped out. Entire villages were wiped out. People called it the Black Death. And historians estimate that as many as 25 million people died. Now you talk about fear and anxiety. How do you fight back against an epidemic that you don't understand and cannot control? Here's what people came up with as their solution. Leave early, go far, stay long. In other words, the minute somebody in your village showed that first symptom of the plague, you split. You abandon your job, you abandon your home, you abandon your neighbors, and you get as far away as you can. And you live in isolation. And you don't plan on coming home for a very long time. This was no guarantee, but many who adopted that strategy did survive. Yet it's interesting that some people who chose to stay also survived, and nobody knew why. Now in that era, most of the hospitals in Western Europe were founded by and staffed by Christians. Believers became doctors and nurses because they wanted to show God's compassion for the hurting people in their midst. But the plague created this huge dilemma. What do you do when it's your responsibility to care for the sick, yet you know you cannot cure them, and you know that if you stick around, your patients might infect you, and you might die along with them? What would you do in that situation? Some doctors and nurses fled because they feared for their lives. Many doctors and nurses stayed. 
these Christian doctors and nurses stayed because they refused to abandon their friends and neighbors. They stayed so they could comfort the dying as best that they could. And so they bathed them and cleaned them and prayed for them and made sure that they did not die alone. They wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And because they stayed, many of those caregivers died themselves. Now, how could they do that? They did it because they had faith in God. They didn't fear death because they knew that there is a life after this one. And they firmly believed that by staying and serving, they were pursuing the kingdom of God. And when you read these historical accounts, it's amazing because because in a situation where so many were filled with fear and anxiety, those who deliberately stayed often were the ones who were most at peace. In the midst of a culture of death, they were not anxious and they were not worried because they put their lives in the hands of God. Now that's obviously an extreme situation. But it's an example of people who took Jesus seriously when he said, do not worry about your life. Instead, they pursued the kingdom of God by investing in the kingdom of God. Their goal was to love God with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves until they drew their last breath. They trusted God with their lives. Well, thankfully, our, our situation today is nothing like that horrific era of the plague. And yet the principles still hold true. Worry, as Jesus says, is a waste. It's profitless. It does us no good. And when we choose to live like kingdom citizens, then we can be free of anxiety and we can be at peace, even when the world around us is literally falling apart. Jesus in this part of his Sermon on the Mount, is giving us an invitation. Pursue the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom. God will take care of us in this life and in the next. So stop worrying.